Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, in the four years that we've been doing this podcast, we've had to chronicle quite a few existential threats to the sport. We get on here, we yell every single week. But what we haven't had to do in those four years is talk about the Cardinals being good. And we're not going to start now. Folks, we got a great episode of Tipping Pitches for you this week. Fortunately for us, we did not start this podcast in 2010. Can you imagine how quickly we would have quit after the 2011 World Series? Yeah, that's a bleak reality. But I'm here to bring up the possibility of the evil, heinous St. Louis Cardinals eliminating a 100-win Major League Baseball team in a one-game wildcard playoff. Do you realize that we are a mere two and a half weeks away from that being a potential reality that we have to face in front of two microphones? What I what I gather from all of that is you and I are both going to go home happy no matter what, really. Because one of those teams loses. Wait, so why would we go home? Ha- why would I go home happy if the Cardinals win? Because the Giants are eliminated? Yeah. Or whatever other evil empire exists. Like, you know, if it ends up being... No, no. I want the Dodgers to eliminate the Cardinals swiftly. (laughs) I don't need the Dodgers to lose in the wild card. I'd rather see them at least advance one round and then have a full series to get eliminated. I'm I'm just here for the heel turn. Like, this is my Joker moment where I come out and say... You're shooting me on stage? (laughs) (laughs) It is funny, and I'm tired of pretending it's not. Wow. Wow. Did you just go go pro cardinal on me? <laughs> you know what? I'm in in a year that has been so chaotic that may be the 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 most predictably chaotic way for things to end. And while I wouldn't be happy about it, I would I would have to I would have to respect it. What the fuck, man? This this is a found this is a friendship built on the foundation that no matter what ups and downs we go through. Through it all, we can admit that the Cardinals are evil and bad and must lose in all possible scenarios. <laughs> they are. I I feel like I can hold those two ideas in my head. Um, the, the the Cardinals are evil and bad, but hey, man, they are at least they're consistent. At least the they show up every day, and I know that they're gonna do some evil Cardinals devil magic shit, and I'm gonna hate them for it. So they're, and, they're like your totem. In inception, right? It's like, like it's like two two enemies knowing that, like, that you're not asleep. <laughs> <laughs> two enemies that like respect each other begrudgingly, you know. <laughs> two old foes. <laughs> um, all right. This is enough of the nightmare scenario. I, I maybe, right. It's maybe like, this if, was if a it terrible happens, way to we're start have the to relive it anyway. <laughs> now I'm going to be like dazed for the rest of the episode. Okay. Uh, we do have a great show in store for you that will not just be us talking about the St. Louis Cardinals. And that ridiculous devil magic. We are going to talk about the Mets Phillies high A game in which the players wore fair ball wristbands in protest of minor league treatment and, and salaries, minor league player salaries. We are going to do a bunch of voicemails. We are, of course, going to do three or three down. But before we do, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. 
and you are listening to Tipping Pitches. All right, should we talk a little about a little bit about minor league baseball? Let's do it. Uh, it was reported by Britt Giroli and as well as others, as well as shared by advocates for minor leaguers who actually organized this protest um, that this past weekend in the game between the Jersey Shore Blue Claws, who are the Phillies High A affiliate, and the Phillies High A affiliate. Tough to say. Let's try to avoid having to say that too many times during this segment. Um, and the Brooklyn Cyclones, who are the Mets High A affiliate, uh, that during this game in Brooklyn, um, uh, several players wore wristbands that said hashtag fair ball and advocates for minor leaguers folks were there passing them out to fans as well to wear in support basically as a protest of the mistreatment of minor leaguers the low salaries the sketchy housing conditions that we have chronicled quite a bit on this podcast obviously um if this is your first time here hello welcome sorry for all the bad jokes um so i don't know i mean i what is there to say about this other than that it's like kind of so much has happened in the past year since the pandemic and in terms of growing spotlight on minor leaguers and the treatment of them by major league clubs that this didn't feel insanely revolutionary to me when someone DM'd it to us or when someone tagged us in it on Twitter, which I think just goes to show how far we've come because any action like this by actual players before or during an actual game kind of would have been unheard of two years ago or 18 full months ago. And it just goes to show how much progress have been has been made both in the discourse about this, but then in the actual action by players themselves. And of course, the outside sort of supporting force advocates for minor leaguers. Yeah, I mean, this thing is absolutely unprecedented in large part because it crosses team boundaries because this was a... A joint statement. We have we have talked on this uh, on this podcast a lot about some about individual players who have maybe come out and spoken on the record about conditions in the minor leagues and 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 wages in the minor leagues, and it is obviously kind of a an open secret among major league baseball players, uh, and a majority of them don't don't talk about it as well either. And we have we've discussed why these things are are not are rarely ever brought up among minor leaguers, and that's because they have far too much to lose. That they have little to no protection uh, from retaliation from their employers, in large part because they don't have a union. And so, we obviously we don't know the names of the players who took uh, part in this protest, essentially, but the the article describes it as quote dozens which is like far from insignificant i mean it would be one thing it would it would be monumental if even one player went out there and and did this that it reached into both dugouts and created a conversation far beyond that is i think really something like you said that we should kind of take a step back and not let this moment um pass by without recognizing how uh, monumental it is. And Major League Baseball said in a statement, essentially in response, <laughs> that said, for seven months into a significant change that aims to address long-standing issues that have impacted minor league players, 
We're paying people twelve fifty for five months a year instead of four fifty for yes. five months a year. Right. Exactly. I mean, these in in high A and low A players are getting five hundred bucks a week before taxes. It's two thousand dollars a month. That's twenty four thousand dollars a year. But they don't even get that throughout the off season, <laughs> right? But they but they are expected to be a part of the team in the off season and work out and maintain their health and uh, and you know get reps in, do whatever you can. I think it's like almost impossible to overstate how important it is to have advocates for minor leaguers seen as the collective organizing force for events like this because it does take some of the pressure off an individual player who might have had this idea and then spread it because then teams can then teams can pin it back to an individual person but if it wasn't one individual player then there is power in the group there is solidarity amongst the players and then that's what solidarity is i mean it's just like the idea that together you are more powerful and cannot be retaliated against because you're a lot more valuable as an entire team or as half of a team or as two teams playing across from each other that message just becomes so much stronger when it's being shared by more and more voices. And then, you know, the other thing is like, we've discussed how important it is that minor league baseball players are going on the record talking about their conditions to people like June Lee, to to people like Britt Giroli, like to people like Jeff Pass and whoever. It's just another in a series of events that is leading to this coming to a head. Like once you have a critical mass of players who are willing to do something like this or say something about this, it's going to be a deluge because every single player thinks this. Like this is the majority opinion now. The majority opinion is no longer a brainwashed, well, I had to put my lumps in, so you have to put yours in. That's just not the case anymore. People have repudiated that idea at a large scale and actions like this just go to prove that. And I will also say I was really proud of the fact that Luis Rojas afterwards, the Mets major league manager came out. He was asked about this in a press conference the next day and he came out and he said, quote, this is according to the write up of it in the New York daily news from Disha Thosar. I think those guys standing for something that, that they believe you've got to respect that if there's going to be an upgrade there, I'll be one of the guys to say, yeah, that would be great. These are guys that are choosing baseball as their career and immediately they want some impact when it comes down to their economic choice. I'll be someone that will support that if they're voicing it. Everyone has their right to show what they want, show the gesture. Now, obviously, that's like not the most eloquent way of saying that the treatment is really bad and they need to be getting a lot more money, but he's kind of talking around that point in a way that's going to keep him employed as long as possible. But Luis Rojas was a minor league manager, a minor league coach in the Mets system, for a very long time before he became a major league manager. He's been with the, t- the team for over a decade, even though he's been their major league manager for just two years. And so he has a lot of relationships with these guys, and he has a lot of firsthand experience with how the treatment can affect guys' mental health, guys' physical health, guys' ability to provide for their families. And finally, something that we've always talked about, which is sort of a craven way of viewing this, but is one of the ways that I'm surprised more owners don't view it this way, their baseball development. And so for a major league manager to then come out in support of this move, you know, as tepid of endorsement as he can possibly give, he's not like unionize the damn minors in a press conference. Not um, yet anyway. Because, the, yeah, well, he would, the pink slip would be 
getting slid across the table on the Zoom screen. But I think that's, again, I can't believe we're here in this exact Overton window, but we really are. I mean, this is like, this is being written about in the most major media outlets. This is being talked about by Major League Baseball managers. It's here. So, like, the fight has arrived. Now, whether that means that we're actually going to get a minor league union in the next year, I seriously doubt it. (laughs) But this is actually on the stepping stone path towards that. This is a collective action among two separate teams that are ostensibly competitors. So, you know, more power to them. In solidarity with them. Solidarity. (laughs) Those are comrades out there over at MCU Park in Coney Island. Paint MCU Park red, bro. Uh, All right. You want to do a couple of voicemails? Yeah, let's do it. Actually, before we do a voicemail, let me read a Twitter DM and then we can switch it over to the voicemails. Um, This is a DM from a listener, Ben, who is a Cubs fan. So I'll just read it out. Hey, Cubs fan here. A few years ago, I moved close enough to Chicago to be a cheap train right away. I intended to go in 2019, but got busy. 2020, I got really invested in the team, but obviously couldn't go in person. So 2021 rolls around. It's finally in his spot to drop a high ticket price on decent seats. Before it, he actually committed to going, the team, the entire team was traded away. Ben says, I have a hard time stomaching paying $100 that the owners will get to see a AAA team play and lose. A friend in Milwaukee invited me to a Brewers-Cubs game that cost about $30. His question is essentially, should I be against paying money at Wrigley being the baseball destination that it is, trying to stick it to the owners? Will my small act of not buying a couple tickets once and not buying food or beer once really make a difference? And on the flip side, will the money spent for that game in Milwaukee somehow make it back to the Cubs' ownership anyway? So, Alex, very tough question here. Should you show your support in person for a team that has not shown its support to you, the fan? The question you may have some experience with this as an athletic is there is there ethical consumption under capitalism? That is kind of what what I suppose what this podcast boils down to, right? The the moral dilemma that we battle week in and week out. If we can't answer this one, we're not worth our weight in salt. <laughs> well, for starters, obviously, the answer is no. And and that that point that you brought up at the end, right? Will the money that you pay to go to a Brewers game eventually make it back up to the Ricketts? I mean, not directly, most likely, but all these owners are sharing in a pool of profits regardless of whether you are paying to go to one game or you're paying to go to another game, right? So in a sense, yes, the Ricketts are going to benefit no matter what you do as a fan, frankly. Which from that perspective, I think it's perfectly okay to go to a Cubs game and, you know, because it might bring you some enjoyment. Right. I, I think that it's perfectly reasonable for fans to say, I don't feel like I can support this until they actually act like they're interested in putting a, a product on the field. Until they do that, I'm not interested in paying for that. And I think that's totally valid. And when the, if the A's inevitably tank after Billy Bean goes to the New York Mets, then it's maybe God, that's no. the maybe that's the boat that I'll be in. I don't know. Um, don't you put that on me, Alex Baisley. <laughs> but I 
I don't think that we should let greedy, craven baseball owners sap us of joy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, you're 100% right. It's all about whether you want to let them dictate the terms with which you enjoy baseball. If you choose that you still like the Cubs, even though they traded away all of those players, and you can hold those two thoughts in your mind, that you still like the Cubs because that's where you're from, that's the fandom that you've held, you loved teams when you were younger, that's what created your love for baseball, whatever it might be. If you can hold that idea in your head with the fact that you're pissed off at the Ricketts and you wish that they didn't exist, but it's outside of the realm of your power to do something about that right now, then that's totally fine to go to these games and support them. I don't love Steve Cohen, but I'll still go to Mets games or I'll still buy Mets merchandise because Francisco Lindor makes me really happy and Jacob deGrom makes me really happy and the memory of David Wright makes me really happy. It's all, I mean, capitalism, when it comes to sports, weaponizes and monetizes nostalgia and your love of something and that's obviously a bleak reality but that is the truth that's what we talk about all the time on this show so it is both okay for you to not want to go see the cubs because they traded away all the best players and put a triple team triple a team out there and you don't think that they're respecting the fandom and you don't think that that is a you know a balanced and healthy relationship but it is also okay for you to acknowledge all of that stuff and still want to go because in the end you're not going to hurt the Ricketts bottom line if you don't go by yourself now if there is some massive Occupy Wall Street level movement of fans refusing to go to MLB games I would say don't cross that line but we're definitely not there <laughs> nor will we ever be so feel free to unionize go unionize the fans is that going to be our <laughs> is that going to be our next bit here Bro, you put that on a shirt that'll sell that shit will <laughs> sell um, also an update Ben followed up afterwards because he sent this email he sent this Twitter DM two weeks ago, he followed up and said he did end up going to the game in Milwaukee. So he made that choice for himself and he had a fantastic time. So if you had fun, it was the right choice. Yep, exactly. Uh, my Ultimately, my beef at the end of the day is not with whether or not my money is going to the Ricketts and more at it, the fact that it costs $100 to go to an entertainment event. Here in 2021, a a minor league baseball player would not be able to afford to go to a major league baseball game as a spectator. Nope. And they're an employee putting, of the team. Putting that out there. <laughs> oh, that is bleak. I love it here. All right, let's do a couple of voicemails. Good morning, Tipping Pitches. This is Becca. Just calling in to shout out Kansas City Royals Baseball Club President Dayton Moore. The pride of the George Mason University. Uh, truthfully, I don't have any strong opinions on him or the Royals, but just having a little moment of alumni pride right now. So um, it's nice to see someone in that position who did not go to an Ivy League. So go Patriots, roll Pat. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. Just a school pride, just a strong sense of pride for your school. Um, Alex, if there was a Major League Baseball GM who went to NYU, I don't think that they would be good for the sport. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> the, the prospect of that idea even existing somewhere out in the world terrifies me a little bit. Like it's going to be enough. Everybody who went to NYU is either a Holly, current Hollywood director 
or financial criminal. There's no in between. <laughs> yeah. And then there's us. Right. I'll, Which one are we going to become? I don't hey, know. To, to be fair, that that kind of uh, encapsulates most of MLB ownership right now. So maybe NY, maybe an NYU alumni would fit right in. Can we talk about Dayton Moore for a sec? I know we talked about Dayton Moore and the Royals last week and how they built housing for their minor leaguers. Um, I asked a Royals friend and friend of the show, JT Chipman, how he feels about Dayton Moore because I feel like he's a semi-complicated figure. Like Every GM that you view from the outside, you don't have that true fan's opinion of that GM. Like A lot of people, I bet, a lot of people actually in my mentions were like, you're crazy for not wanting Billy Bean. And I was like, have you ever met an ace fan? They would be happy to get rid of Billy Bean, uh, as we've talked about a million times on this show. And uh, Chip said, you can honestly draw a line in the sand between by white evangelicals who go to church every Sunday and those who do not. <laughs> Saying that the white evangelicals love Dayton more. Because <laughs> he's a total family man, loves his Christian values, the porn stuff but also treating players like family, giving contracts to old favorites or vets that don't really deserve it. And I respect and I respect and sometimes like those things about him. But as a GM or president of operations or whatever he is, if this class of Bobby Witt, Lacey, Coar, Prato, et cetera, et cetera, don't pan out, I'm fully out. <laughs> so I would just like everybody to know the Homer opinion of Dayton Moore. Also, I I respect the uh, the take of if if the things that he did works, then he's good. I'm a fan of his. Yeah. But if they if they don't work, well, then I think he's probably not very good at his job. That's called high standards. That's how GMs treat players. So I think that that's how fans should treat GMs. Win some so games. True. How about win a World Series, Billy Bean? If you want to be the all-time greatest GM and you want to be pursued by every big club, how about win a World Series? Well, the, the sub-500 fourth-place Royals just promoted Dayton Moore. So, someone sees some potential in him. We'll see. Uh, maybe we'll have to have Chip call in and share his true feelings on Dayton Moore in three years if Bobby Witt is not MVP of the AL. <laughs> Let's uh, put put Chip and Becca toe to toe. You know, it sounds like George point Mason point counterpoint. It sounds like George Mason University pride runs strong though. So maybe I don't know if Chip can change Becca's mind or not. Uh, all right, thanks for calling in, Becca. Next voicemail. Hi, um, so my name is Ksenia. This is actually my second time calling. Um, and two things you should know before I ask my question or tell my story, I guess, is I'm an elementary school teacher and I'm a Nationals fan. So, you know, when I go to work every day, I'm there with 26-year-olds, 26-year-olds. And, you know, sometimes on the playground, they get into little arguments. I promise this is relevant. One of them might say, oh, she hit me, and then, oh, he hit me first. That happens at work quite a bit, but we work through it. And so, you know, sometimes when I come home from work, I like to unwind. I turn it on a NAS game, and one night I put on the NAS Brave game, and what do you know? I hear the announcers saying, oh, Will Smith threw it one photo last night, so let's see if, if the NAS retaliate by throwing at Freddie Freeman. And in my mind, I'm just, I'm just melting because my, my eyes are rolling back. And I'm like, why are they acting like the children that I work with every day, you know? And 
Of course, yes, John Nolan throws at Freddie Freeman. He tried once and missed and then threw it again and hit him. And the whole thing just made me cringe so hard because I feel like sometimes in baseball, in sports in general, people talk about these grown men playing the game as if they are children and act like things like this that, in my opinion, are pretty idiotic and dangerous are just, you know, okay because it's part of the game. Um and I guess this kind of goes along with, like, some of the unwritten rules stuff that I know you all have talked about before. Um, but I'm just curious your thoughts on this in general, just the whole, like, throwing pitchers, throwing at players on purpose, and then also just the idea that athletes and baseball players get away with things because we often talk about them like they are children. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, looking forward to hearing your response. Great question. and great perspective to put things in 26 year olds 26 year olds not 26 year olds 26 year olds we need more elementary school teachers calling into this podcast i'm just honestly gonna say that i'm gonna manifest it yeoman's work elementary school teachers uh yeah i mean it's a really interesting comparison to draw because you know some of the more nefarious aspects of beanball and toxic masculinity that we see manifest in baseball really are just like if you took a nine-year-old and you gave them all of the anger and athletic ability of a 28-year-old but you didn't mature them all emotionally and that's how baseball players act a lot of the time because that is just what toxic masculinity is right it's stuff that was never unlearned and to draw the comparison between six-year-olds in a playground who don't know better that you're not supposed to swing back or retaliate in that way is I think a, a relatively profound one. What do you think, Alex? Is it just a bunch of grown up kids thrown at each other? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's just that's just baseball, right? You know? Yeah. I I mean we don't have to to go long on this and have and talk about the the psychological elements of uh, being a developing baseball player and No, uh, Freud this one right in front of our very eyes. <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, you know, these players are products of their environment in which they are often the best player on their team. And from oftentimes high school on or or college on, they are in a radically different environment than the rest of us are, which is not to say that uh, that's okay or even understandable that they that they throw each other, that they throw at each other or, or whatever regressive unwritten rules that they employ. But you know they're in you're in an echo chamber in a sense right and you're taught by all the all the veterans around you that hey this is just how this is how things are done here so i i i i find it hard to ever fault individuals um because it's obviously it's obviously the 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 system that has enabled this sort of behavior that said counterpoint no it's not even a counterpoint it's just a different point you never get to throw at someone twice. I'm sorry. I mean, I never think you should throw at someone anyways. But if you miss the first time, you don't get to try again. Alex is litigating rules that he doesn't think should exist. <laughs> I'm just saying, the rules exist. I agree. I agree. If you're going to hit him, hit him on the first time. But don't hit him at all. <laughs> but if you're going to hit him, hit him on the first time. I, just I think thought you were going to say, that said. 
I never like to fault individuals, but that's it. Hunter Strickland, kindly fuck off. <laughs> well, yes, there are certain individuals whom I can very easily fault. But all I'm saying is you don't get a do-over on your revenge plunking. You had you had your shot. Yeah. The other pitcher's just the other pitcher is just better at hitting batters. Yeah. Sorry. Go practice with Austin Adams more. I don't know what to tell you. Even kids, you know, like when when we were kids and you did something that violated the unwritten kids rule, maybe you get like one free punch. Did you ever do that with your friends? <laughs> one free punch. You take your one free punch in the arm, and if you miss, like if you just clip the tricep, that was your one free punch. Right. Yeah. I can't say I really ever participated uh, in that that system I, but I understand that that was a that was a schoolyard currency well you know that you and i have never done one free punch so that's just an example of unlearned toxic masculinity <laughs> i'm i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna sing any of our virtues about unlearned toxic masculinity uh you want to do a next voicemail hey y'all nate from st louis here i just wanted to call to give a quick message about the uh the recent Yadier Molina extension that the Cardinals just signed. Um, so obviously as a Cardinals fan, I was pretty excited to hear that we'd be bringing a franchise legend back uh, for his line, for his final year in a Cardinal uniform and they'd be able to finish his career wearing that, the birds on the bat, um, which is pretty rare nowadays in Major League Baseball. Um, but the reaction from other Cardinals fans that I seem to see was that uh, most people seem to think that it was a bit of an overpay to sign Yadi at a one-year $10 million extension. Um, and I guess mostly just, you know, I mean, I'm, I know the majority of Cardinals fans were, were probably at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, so I, I shouldn't be surprised at some boot, billionaire bootlicking. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's, it's frustrating that, that when our owner is, is consistently ranked in the top five of owner net worth and just opened a $260 million ballpark village across from the stadium with luxury apartments and hotels and dining, that the the narrative, not just among Cardinals fans, but among most fans, seems to be that that when a player is maybe getting slightly overpaid, it's considered a bad contract. But if a player is getting underpaid in any way and bringing more value than their contract is worth, that it's a good contract. Um, and that teams just continue to win, or, or teams and owners continue to win the PR battle. That that that's what that's how contracts are supposed to go. So so I don't know, you know. Just, just very frustrated at that, but otherwise, just love the pod. Keep up the great work. Peace. Far be it from me to praise the Cardinals, even though Alex is a Cardinals fan now, confirmed right. Cardinals fan. Mm-hmm. But this is the right thing to do. Never let Yadier Molina wear a different uniform. Period. End of story. Never let David Wright wear another uniform. Never let Derek Jeter wear another uniform. It's just not right. There are certain franchise heroes, franchise legends, who just should not be on another team, and money is just an earthly object that owners have in spades. And so they should spend it on making sure that fans get to say, my favorite player growing up never wore a different team. That's my opinion. And I think that this caller is incredibly right, and I think whatever Cardinals fans notoriously not the best people will say <laughs> this is a sweeping statement, but I'm sure there are plenty of very nice Cardinals fans out there. I know a few. This caller is one because they listened to this podcast and decided to call in. Thank you very much for doing that. But you know, the rest of Cardinals fans, a little bit of a mixed bag, a little bit of a mixed bag, but, but even they deserve good things. Yes. 10 
million dollars is not that much money to the Cardinals. So you know what? Forget about it. I wish that we put less emphasis. This is a this call is a good reminder of this. I wish that we put less emphasis on a contract once it was already signed. If it's signed, it's signed. This is the contract. Who cares? That's how much Yadier Molina could negotiate for. That's how much the Cardinals could feasibly say yes to. It's signed. It's over. Stop lingering on it. You know? Like when we're in year seven of the Miggy contract, who cares? That's how much money the Tigers agreed to pay. And that's how much money Miggy asked for. These are two people who never will even know that I exist. Why am I talking about it? <laughs> that's my opinion on Yadier Molina. Yes, that it's it's not your money. And exactly. it's not my money either. It's not your money to give, and you're also not receiving it, so just get over it. I mean, you can know, and you can think about it, and you can have an opinion on what's good for the game or whatever, but just know that it's not your money. Because more fans, the fans who are going to bat for owners are acting like it's their money. And the fans who are going to bat for players are just acknowledging that it's not their money. So, you know, you decide which group of people is right. I love the the syndrome that comes with franchise players in that they very well could just be blocking the role of a potentially much better play. You never know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I really got a feel for anyone, anyone who's any catcher who has come up through the Cardinal system over the last decade. Because, you yeah. know, Dead end. it's not going to be with this team. Yeah. Same with Carson the Giants. Kelly is going to go to the Diamondbacks and try his hand there. How's Joey Bart working out? As Buster Posey has a career renaissance season. Right, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's very tough. But listen, it's kind of like if you want to be the next host of Tipping Pitches, you're just going to have to wait for Alex to lose his fastball. And guess what? We're going to be waiting a long time because he's still got it. (laughs) He became a Cardinals fan at the beginning of this podcast. Couldn't have seen that one coming. Blew it right by me. And Mm -hmm. I've been friends with him for seven years. Yeah, real late life on that one, huh? All right, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our Good friends over at Baseball Prospectus. And when we come back, we will do three up, three down. We're coming down the home stretch of the baseball season. And while the weather gets cooler and the pennant races heat up, the Baseball Prospectus Podcast Network is here to take you all the way through the playoffs. Twice a week, catch up with the five most pressing and mostly baseball news topics of the day with our flagship podcast, Five and Dive, hosted by Craig Goldstein, Bradford William Davis, and Emma Bachelieri. If Fantasy League playoffs are on your mind, there's Flags Fly Forever for your late-season redraft needs, and there is no off-season for Dynasty Leagues. Stephen Goldman's Infinite Inning blends baseball history and interviews with the writers of today, while For All You Kids Out There covers whatever is going on with the Mets this week. Our Prospect Teams podcast, Three Quarters Delivery, is ready to ramp back up as we head into another prospect list season. For all these shows, just search for the Baseball Prospectus Podcast Network wherever you download podcasts. What's first this week, Alex? Down? Let's uh let's do down first this week. We've been having some fun. So we'll 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 take a breath. Time to let then, the air uh, out. These exactly. guys can't have too much fun. No. That's not you know what you it. come here for every week. Thanks for listening. Uh all right. Um I will go first. My first down this week is a bit of a complicated one with which needs a little bit of backstory. I'm gonna try to do it as quickly as possible. Uh, you're familiar with the Vermont Lake Monsters, Alex? I am. Longtime Oakland A's affiliate. Yes, and the hometown team of one 
Bernard Sanders, who Bernie, you're listening if you're listening. Heard of him. Open invite, still open. Haven't said it in a while. Just know. Invite Emeritus. Anyway, Vermont Lake Monsters. They were one of the 42 teams cut that lost their affiliate status. They are no longer an affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. They are no longer affiliate of any Major League Baseball team. They are an independent club for um, collegiate players to play in over the summer, basically. Uh, However, when they were cut from minor league baseball, official minor league baseball, uh, the ownership group put them up for sale. Guy who bought them, who leads the LLC called Nos Amores Baseball Club is a guy named Chris English. Now, Chris English's day job, Alex, is that he is the founder of Rock Fence Capital, which is, I know you're thinking that it sounds very reputable and it sounds like something that does good for society, Rock Fence Capital. Yes, that is exactly what I'm thinking. That that was what was going through your head, right? Uh, Which is a company that gives, depending on your perspective, predatory loans to future Major League Baseball players from uh, South America. Wow. I want to give a quick shout to Matt Moore, who wrote this up in uh, Rake, the Rake Vermont, which is an independent media outlet in Vermont. And a quick shout out to JP, who DM'd us this article on Twitter and brought it to our attention. Essentially, I just wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk about the, t- the tentacles that have started to wrap their themselves around the VC money that started to wrap itself around the various elements of baseball that are kind of up for grabs, you know, like the VC people who are thinking of creative ways to make the game worse, which these predatory loan companies who say that they are giving money to future MLB players, prospects who have a chance to make it, whatever they're giving it at like, you know, between like 10 and 15% interest rates, which is like, you know, your average mortgage is like 3%. So think about how hard it is to pay off a mortgage and the interest on that and how long that takes and then multiply that by five. Um, And oftentimes you're, they're giving out even more money than you're getting for a mortgage because the future earning potential of baseball players is obviously very high. So these are high margins that we're working with. Um, the article is really well written and we'll put a link to it in the description, but it's worthwhile thinking and maybe it's probably worthwhile for us to do a bigger episode about this topic specifically because it's something that we've alluded to and discussed how it's negative repercussions with guys like Cunha and Tatis and Fremil Reyes is a guy that comes up in this article too. Um, the ways that they weaponize the idea of like giving money to create financial freedom for players, but what you're really doing is giving money and then hampering their freedom to really go out and hit the open market in full because they have to start making these loan payments as soon as they make it to Major League Baseball. That is what these contracts stipulate. So it's just another example of how in baseball there is like there is an idea of a good thing that could be done and it's a PR spin on that thing that's making it seem like it's a good thing. Hey, we're giving money to players who need it very earlier in their career. And all we're asking for at the end is 15% interest. It's just, man, it's really, it's really dark stuff, honestly. It's because it is made possible by the truly deplorable conditions with which MLB clubs operate both in the United States with minor league pay because these guys need it because they're not going to be making enough money when they're in the system. And the even more deplorable lengths that they are willing to go to in 
South America to acquire these guys at such a young age and to ask them to have to sign these contracts for these loans at such a young age. It's like the whole student loan crisis, except with even more massive amounts of money happening to you when you're even younger. It's ridiculous. It's truly ridiculous. And that is my first down this week. I'm sorry that I spent so much time with so much backstory, but I felt compelled because, you know, JP sent this to us on Twitter and it's something that we haven't spent a ton of time talking about in its relation to something that we do talk about a lot, which is minor league baseball and pay and conditions for those guys. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I was not super familiar with that structure and certainly not with this uh, operation. Rock Fence Capital. Rock fence capital. Very all above yes. board. Rock fence. All above the rock fence. <laughs> I mean, you said it, and I immediately thought, oh, uh, Middle East military contractor, right? <laughs> they, they're they somehow funneling arms to the Taliban, right? Oh, this is what Steve Cohen renamed his operation once he had to pay the $1 billion fine right, to exactly. the SEC. And somehow this is just as malicious. Yeah. Yeah, nothing like exploiting the labor of young children playing baseball in order to secure reliable income streams for your capital firm. Because you know who's had too easy of a ride? Children. 13-year-old Dominican baseball players who grew up in poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. It's yeah, been, they're the free world, ride stops The world here. was made for them. It's really, yeah, I mean... Read this article, and there there are plenty of there's been plenty of really good writing about this. Actually, I I the more we talk about it, I feel like we should do a full episode about this in the off season. Absolutely, uh, definitely on board with you for that one. Um, my first down this week, actually, uh, is maybe kind of fitting because maybe Chris English could uh, could get involved in this somehow. Um, Your first down is that you have stock in one of Rock Fences competing companies. <laughs> <laughs> Your IRA is tied up in that company. <laughs> right, exactly. My first down is that Rockfence isn't on Robinhood and I can't invest uh, in, in them. Woo. Primary owner of the Kansas City Royals, John Sherman, said this week that the Royals got to start looking for a stadium real soon. What? Which, I no. D- pretty, pretty sure they don't. Uh, Kauffman Stadium... Pretty, pretty good ballpark, I think. Quite pretty. You've been there, right? I have been there. It was great. Well, they're going to need a new one in five to ten years, or they're at least going to have to start thinking about a new one. But <laughs> really I, throwing I, darts. I know, I know. I but I know what you're thinking. John Sherman, as the billionaire owner of this team, would like to invest in this team, and therefore will pony up the money to pay for said new stadium. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. Hmm. Well, maybe some words got in translation, got lost in translation, because I know that's what he, I know that's uh, what he meant. Yeah. John Sherman's good people. Because somehow it came out that uh, he said he expects taxpayers would be involved in funding this new stadium. And the rationale was largely that, well, they were involved in funding the old ones. Mm. So. So why not end up this one? And you know what? It's hard to poke holes in, in that logic. That's what we in the legal field call precedent. <laughs> <laughs> he also, of course, cites the, the economic growth potential that a new ballpark would bring. 
which uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but consensus seems to be that, that that's, uh, that's probably false. Very little economic growth that happens, especially, especially when it comes to taxpayer-funded stadiums that usually end up fitting the bill, footing the bill for, uh, for years to come. But, you know, I just got to say, if John Sherman is really strapped for cash, he could take a meeting with Chris English <laughs> because I think he's got some money to toss around. Yeah, I hear rock fence 10, 10% minimum. Mm-hmm. 10% minimum. Right, exactly. I mean, it's going to cost you down the road. But look, this is a great investment right now, and you need this money. You need the money. You're in a position where you don't have a ton of leverage. You want to create more leverage in the future. Get that cash on hand. A little, little 15%, you know, a little 15% VIG. Pay that. Little mafioso numbers for you. What do you think, Mr. Sherman? <laughs> I, my, my I'm waiting sympathies. for him to blame this on the fact that they had to build housing for their minor leaguers. Like, that, that's coming. <laughs> right, exactly. Or, or extending uh, Salvi. Yeah. And then saying, well, you know, we're running out of big payroll. So that's our investment. What's what's your guys? Joe Schmo, who just wanted to take his family to a baseball game? Well, I don't know. The fact that we've been coming to baseball games for the last <laughs> fucking 30 years? What do you think our investment is? The fact is? that I am a walking advertisement with my uh, Major League, with my Kansas City Royals cap? Where's my commission on that? No public money for stadiums, period. None. Ever. Never. Ever, never. Not a cent. Facts. My my uh my sympathies go out to the Royals fans who are going to have to endure this battle. That includes for, even if you uh, want to revitalize a downtown, Mister Fisher. Um, okay. My next down is we have a bit of a nightmare playoff scenario on our hands, Alex. You and I specifically. This is about as bad as it could have gotten. The Mets are going to miss the playoffs. The A's are very likely going to miss the playoffs. The San Diego Padres are going to miss the playoffs. A fun story like the Seattle Mariners, they're probably going to miss the playoffs. What do we have to root for? I mean, you have the Cardinals to root for now, which congratulations. Um, this is a mess. This is just, you know, this is that time of the pod where we start talking about actual baseball stuff. This playoff picture sucks. I don't have a team that I want to win other than the Blue Jays. And I don't really think they're going to win because they don't have any pitchers. <laughs> I mean, they might... Make a little noise in the wild card, potentially, if it's not something even more of a disaster, like the Red Sox and Yankees in the wild card game. But it's, it's looking pretty bleak. I might be hopping on the Milwaukee Brewers bandwagon. Sure. Why not? Maybe I'll root for the Astros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Maybe I'll get behind the Dodgers again. <laughs> I know the Dodgers one is hard because I individually like a lot of the players on that team. Yeah, me too. Like it is composed of a a lot of really enjoyable guys who I uh, I appreciate watching play the sport of baseball. But it also kind of it feels like it's like rooting for Amazon, you know, to like open up a brick and mortar bookstore or something like that. Where I'm like, you. You guys didn't need, you, didn't, you don't need this. It's like rooting for Bezos fine. to make it to space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mostly a vanity project. <laughs> Someone shade to the real Dodgers fans who listen to this podcast, of which there are many. <laughs> uh, but you can't bandwagon the Dodgers. Like, that's just not right. Sorry. You respect, respectfully, you've gotten to the point where I want your team to lose. That's a big accomplishment. Yeah. 
congratulations. Uh, I just don't know who else to root for. No, I mean, I I would entertain. You mentioned the Blue Jays, who I have been at least their hitters have been a joy to watch this year. There are a lot of just just dudes who who hit dingers. You heard of this guy Marcus Semyon? If I have to sit through a Robbie Ray playoff start, though, so help me God. I mean, that guy is just not. <laughs> Let's go, Alec Manoa. <laughs> uh, I would entertain the White Sox as well. I really oh, like true. the White Sox. Yeah. <laughs> They've been in first so long, I actually forgot about them. <laughs> <laughs> they also play in the AL Central. So you you just kind of, you know, no disrespect to my AL Central homies out there, but you kind of write them off to a certain extent. This is the, you know, the uh, the coastal elite in me. Talking. Since we recorded last, Cleveland got no hit for the third time this year. All right, that's the AL Central in a nutshell. Right. They're in second. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to pour one out for the San Diego Padres? Because they are as cooked as cooked gets. It's, yeah, things are things are not great over in San Diego right now. Uh, do we want to, should we check in on our friends, Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr.? See how they're doing? Are they in couples therapy yet? If they would like to come on the show and discuss it out with, you know, relatively neutral arbitrators that you and I are pro player neutral arbitrators as opposed to the pro owner neutral arbitrators that happen in contract salary arbitration. Um, open invite. Maybe we get you, me, Manny, Fernando, Bernie, all in the same pod. <laughs> you think they're all free on the same day? Well, I know that Manny and Fernando are at least free on October 4th. So if Bernie is free that day. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> All right. What's next down for you? Enough real baseball. Talk. The next down for me is kind of a small thing. And it's not even necessarily something that uh, is sapping my joy per se. But it is something that I think is just <laughs> kind of confusing to me. You know, I feel like an older baseball fan where I just I just don't really get something. So I'm kind of mad about it. Um, Obviously, advanced statistics have well made their way into the mainstream dialogue around uh, analyzing baseball and have made their way into broadcasts as well. Even if they are sometimes uh, with ill-informed context or with somewhat meaningless uh, reason for bringing them up, you know, the wind coming in from right field and how that affects the wind coming in. You love the wind one. You love it. I do love the wind one. And this is, I promise this is not just an excuse for me to like dunk on the A's, the the NBC Bay Area production team, who I'm sure are all wonderful people and are, are very wonderful at their jobs. But I was watching a baseball game starring the Oakland Athletics. They rolled out a sort of probability chart a pitch by pitch probability chart of of how they expect the at bat to end and so the, for a few at bats they just kind of had it there in the corner right and you would see it update pitch by pitch right well now there's a 17% chance of a strikeout and a 31% chance of a ground out 4% chance of a home run and I was just thinking to myself, this doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> I'd, I'm, I'm somewhat unsure what to do with this information. And I do think we are at the point where 
there is so much data out there, but there's not a ton of like data literacy. And so I think teams and the the broadcast production teams are frantically trying to look for ways to incorporate a lot of these new statistics, um, a lot of these newfangled concepts like probability into their broadcasts. And I don't know. I just think that sometimes it's these are well-intentioned projects that don't really do anything to the broadcast but confuse viewers. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, again, you know, maybe there's a kid out there, a family out there, who for whom this shed a whole new light on Mark Canna's at bat. No, I, I actually, for the last couple of years, as I kind of just kind of learn more and become well more well-versed in this exact thing, actually, like probabilities based on the count. Like, as you get behind in the count, what is your uh, batting average? And more and more broadcasts are showing that. And, you know, places like Fangraphs have written really smart stuff about that as it pertains to old adages about taking pitches or getting, you know, waiting for the first strike and how for some guys that doesn't really work. You're actually just kind of giving away a lot of your leverage, which... Chris English, if you're listening, get pumped. Um, I actually kind of resent the fact that I know all of that because when I'm watching and a guy's behind one, two, I'm just like, ah, shit. And I'm just like upset for most of the game. So I actually don't <laughs> want to know this. Please give me less information and let me manifest a little bit more hope while watching a ball game. Well, I also think that just like second to second uh, dissections of this does vary a little to actually educate the viewer about what's going on. If you want to tell me what Mark Canna's batting average is on O2 counts, I might come back and say, why the fuck are you telling me batting average, dude? But I do think it's an interesting piece of knowledge that you can actually have a somewhat intelligent conversation around. But what do you... I think the last five years have shown us that a lot of people don't really know how to actually talk about probability. Oh my God. Yeah. And what it means. Yeah. This is like the New York times election probability meter well, of <laughs> baseball broadcasting tactics. Exactly. And I'm just not sure that I trust our baseball broadcasters to Mark can a strikeout very likely. The oh no. Right. Oh, right, it's swinging back. It's swinging yeah. back. <laughs> oh, uh, he actually homered there. So we're gonna go back and retool our probabilities so that we know. I'm just yeah. No, I'm I'm, a, I'm okay just watching the at bat. Yeah, me too. It's all right. Oh, me too. It's taking the art out of the game, Alex. It's taking the art out of the game. All these fucking new statistics, man. I'm like, I don't care. Just what's his woba? I don't know. That's not a word. Just it's all about the 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 bat on the ball, right? Yeah. See, see the, the ball, see hit ball, ball, hit ball, see ball, hit ball. Um, mm-hmm. speaking of balls that you can't see or hit, my third down this week, Blake sure. Trinan, Alex. Yeah. Um, Blake Trinan's Instagram bio was floating around Twitter this past week, which is a sentence that I have to say because I host a podcast about baseball and pop culture and make jokes about politics. Um, here's Blake Trinan's Instagram bio. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. All for him. Him capitalized. 
pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, number 49. Alex, the two links that Blake Trinan would like to share via his Instagram bio are covidvaxexposed.com, which got a lot of run on Twitter, a ton of run on Twitter, covidvaxexposed.com. This was the updated bio that everybody wanted to talk about. I would like, I mean, that's down. That's the reason that it's down. Wow, that he wants to, to expose bust some the COVID. COVID vaccine mix? I mean, Myths? I don't know. It says more about you that you don't want to know the truth, you little sheep. True. Yeah. However, I would like to talk about the second link in the bio, Alex. It's michaeljlindell.com. Are you familiar with who Michael J. Lindell is? I, buddy, I sure am. <laughs> and I, I didn't really realize that there was a baseball player who did, but I suppose that's in this year 2021 that's not that surprising i mean the guy has the fox news app he can watch the my pillow guy interviews on fox news that is who michael j lindell is if you go to michaeljlindell.com which i don't suggest that anybody does for their own health i also real quick i i love that it's michael j lindell you know like it's the whole it's it's like very trump-esque you know where i'm gonna sit i'm whole name middle initial last name yeah it would you kill know? me if his middle name was John, just like Trump. <laughs> Michael John Lindell. Um, on the MyPillow guy's website, like MyPillow is nowhere to be found, really, other than like in the Fox News headlines where they just call him MyPillow guy, which is like I think kind of disrespectful because it wasn't the whole really thing like he insanely lost insanely funny lost his company or whatever, like he quit or I don't really know. I don't want to know the details of the MyPillow guy, but on the front page, the front carousel of MichaelJLindell.com, there's something about how he's having a cybersecurity um, conference. Yeah. Is that the guy that you want to get your cybersecurity from? Is that the guy that Blake Trinan wants to get his cybersecurity from? The MyPillow guy? I mean, it seems like it. I guess so. Well, Blake Trinan exposing one COVID vaccine one day, locking down his multi-factor authentication with the MyPillow guy the next day. Uh, what is the what does that cybersecurity look like? You know, is it don't retweet anything, just print out tweets that you enjoy and hang them on the wall? It's like it, if you try to like, break into know, his phone, it's just the my pillow guy just bursts onto the screen and starts yelling at you, and you're like, I don't even want to get in this phone anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um I didn't realize Blake Trinan was this bad, to be honest. And now this is even more oh, of a, yeah. this is now even more of a reason to root against the Dodgers. This is some real, this is like James Karinchak level. Oh, yeah. No, he's like full QAnon. He's like um, flying under the radar because he's still pitching well, unlike James Karinchak, who actually couldn't get an out of a high schooler without spider tech. Yeah. So, you know, just something to think about as you watch Blake trying to potentially come in, in a high leverage spot in the wild card game against Alex's favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> All right. What's your third down? Uh, my last down is uh, a, a a quite lovely column profile, if you will, of disgraced Cincinnati Reds broadcaster and uh, unwitting creator of one of baseball Twitter's longest lasting memes I've seen in a while, Tom Brenneman, who just got quite a rosy write-up in something called the Sports Broadcast Journal. The, the, the headline for this column is Remorseful Tom Brenneman Deserves to Work Again Now. 
semicolon, he's already suffered 14 months of hell. <laughs> Famously, this is what hell is. This actually is what hell is. Um, the, uh, the caption to the smiling photo of him in a broadcast booth says, Tom Brenneman deserves to be back in the booth now after 14 months of hell. He doesn't deserve a career death sentence, which a lot to unpack there, <laughs> but mostly just that that's not how you write captions to photos, my dude. No, that's, there's nothing there. That's what booth was he sitting in? I'm curious about that. I'm curious why he seems to have a, a medieval painting behind him. They really missed an opportunity to say, to make the meme in the caption. Or anywhere in the article, you know, <laughs> like Tom Brenneman pictured here doesn't deserve a 14 month le- career death sentence as there's a draft to deep yeah. field by Castellanos and that'll make it a four ball <laughs> That'd be far, far too self-aware. Yeah. There. Yeah. And, 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 you know, leaning into the punching down of Tom Brenneman, which everyone is doing. I mean, this is a guy who has given his life to the game. And the game really was I, what a stretch his <laughs> and you know I mean he had his career handed to him but so what that doesn't mean you can just take it away because he says a slur on live television some of the I really am not gonna I don't want to spend too much time on this um, which is why I'm gonna now read uh, just an excerpt or two of this uh, incredible profile the author who uh, who interviewed Brenneman as a part of this piece uh, refers to the quote PC mob, a gang of cancel culture activists and those who say little for concerns over repercussions, which is a, I mean, it's definitely a sentence of words. I have to give him that. It had a period at the end of it. Um, Subject predicate optional words and period (laughs) words, period. Um, the the anecdote the quote that I enjoyed came from Brenneman himself who said if I'm in the grocery store or getting a cup of coffee at the local convenience shop 99% of those I bump into I'll hear we wish you were back we miss you let's say it's even 90% are execs <laughs> going to make a decision to appease the 10% wouldn't you listen to the massive 90% is he suggesting that 90% of people that he passes approach him and say, I wish you were still back in the booth because that's a selective sample, Tom. The rest of the people don't want to fucking talk to you because you suck. You weirdo. Are you kidding me? If I see Tom Brenneman on the street, it's oh, it's over. Wow. In his face, I never want to see you back in the booth. Yeah. I want to make it unequivocally, unequivocally clear. Part of the 10%. I am, I am the one, the 10%. <laughs> I am the 1%. <laughs> Wow, uh, this article was a travesty. Nothing like quoting the guy who you're writing the opinion about in the yep. article. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, let's take another quick break before we get to up, Alex, to hear a word from our friends over at Two Strike Noise really quickly. 
The pace of the game of baseball lends itself to conversation and often debate. Who do you build a franchise around in the 1800s? King Kelly or the only Nolan? Was Babe Ruth the white Josh Gibson or Gibson the black Babe Ruth? Which 1980s pitcher attempt at rapping set the genre back further? Twins reliever Juan Berenguer's Latin-inspired self-titled Juan Berenguer Boogie? Or the Royals' Brett Saberhagen and his local Ford commercial, apparently written by somebody who's never heard rap that wasn't featured on a kid's bop album? These are the topics we tackle each week on Two Strike Noise a baseball history podcast. Each episode, we embark on the deep dives on topics at the front of all baseball fans' minds. Who was the better pitcher? Cheers beloved reliever Sam Mayday Malone? Or Major League's Vaseline-covered veteran Eddie Harris? Vip says Mayday, but Babbitt favors Harris. We also talk to former players, ranging from World Series MVPs from the Yankees' heydays in the 60s, all the way through players who've just recently retired with as many memes to their names as career home runs. If you like stale gum from packs of baseball cards, we've got you covered as well. Each week we open a different pack of junk wax to compare wars and those great 80s mustaches. Except for Greg Maddox's rookie stash on that 87 Donruss. That's just embarrassing. We are Two Strike Noise. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or on any of the other 4,200 podcast providers. Thanks to our friends at Baseball Prospectus, and thanks to our friends at Two Strike Noise. Um, go check out their stuff. If we're looking for new baseball podcasts, you don't already listen to either of those. Um, my first up this week is we went to our first game together, Alex, in, in 2021. We went to a Major League Baseball game together against all odds in 2021. What a beautiful thing. If you go to covidvaxexposed.com, it's just a picture of you and me at the baseball game exposing the fact that you can have a lot of fun with your friends if you get the vaccine and you stay safe. <laughs> Take that, Blake Trinan. <laughs> Joke's on us because we went to see a Giants game. Yeah, and they so. won. Um, <laughs> we went to see a Giants Braves game, which is like no winners for me. No winners. Right, exactly. I my favorite person there was the Braves fan in uh sitting down along the first baseline, just who had brought his own foam uh axe, I guess, to the park. <laughs> he was, was doing the chop solo. Waving it back and forth you, like the entire game. Yep. Nonstop. Yep. Um, a man in line for the bathroom on the ferry on the way back who was wearing a Dodgers hat was adamantly telling me and Gabriella, your girlfriend, about how Dodgers fans travel better than any other fan base in the United States. Objectively not true. Yankees fans travel the best. But he was saying that if you go to a Braves-Dodgers game in Atlanta, it will be, quote, at least two-thirds Dodgers fans. I want what that guy was on. Right. So, like, four $17 beers? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't want that. Um, of a drug. Shout out to baseball. One of my favorite things from that day, from that game, was I was in the restroom, and I looked up, and I saw a sign, <laughs> and they were recruiting union plumbers for UA Local 38. That's right. How about it? I, mean, I didn't have to look up and see an ad for DirecTV or DraftKings. I looked up and I saw an ad to go get a union job and become a plumber. That was cool. That's up for me this week. We love that. Uh, Okay, first up for you. First up for me, you said we love baseball. And that's pretty much mine 
too. Because, boy, have you seen some of these home runs lately? <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. That's kind of just the up right there. Um, we are, are in the midst of a incredibly fun home run race right now. And I, I highly encourage you, the listener, if you have not already, to turn on MLB Home Run Alerts on Twitter for this these final couple weeks because seeing Salvador Perez and Shohei Otani and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just continuing to best each other day in and day out is really incredible and and reminds me at least a little bit of why I actually tune in to to watch baseball at least one of these guys is going to get to 50 home runs. I don't really have analysis here or like anything to to say, you know, you're looking at me like I was, like I've got some scintillating insight to share with the listeners, but it's really just man, I just, what's the percentage that they hit a home run in the next pitch? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh no, your your up leads perfectly into my next up, Alex, which is that Shohei Otani was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World, Shohei Otani. Named to the Time 100. Now, you know, you might debate the merits of the word influential and 100 and in the world. You know, they're trying... I'm, I'm debating the the definition of 100. I mean, That's my beef there. Some people are. Um, but I love to see it. You and I ran a student newspaper, which one of the special editions every year was an issue called the Influential Issue, in which we selected 10 NYU students who were the quote... It's a creative name. Who were the quote, (laughs) most influential students on campus. They weren't... Here's a little secret into the editorial process that Time Magazine is following here. They weren't necessarily the most strictly influential students on the campus. They also just happened to be cool people that we wanted to profile. So it sounds like someone at Time Magazine was just like, I think Otani's cool. Let's put him on the list. And do you know who they got to write the blurb for him, Alex? They got Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> Can't make it up. It's too good to I be actually, true. I saw the quote from Alex Rodriguez going around. I think ESPN took a quote that he had and, and put it in a little graphic. And I thought that maybe that was just something he said on air. No. And I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. It was r- relatively bland, somewhat kind of milquetoast uh, statement about how he's really, you know, a wonderful baseball player, amazing for the game. Alex Rodriguez. Shohei Otani is having an extraordinary season. This is from the pages of Time Magazine. One like we have never seen before. Not only is he incredible on the field, but off the field, he's a gentleman. His teammates have only good things to say about Shohei, and he is great with the media and fans, too. They couldn't find someone more interesting than Alex Rodriguez just to talk about Otani. Did he get the writing prompt? Those what's <laughs> where's he where's the influence, dude? I I don't really know. He's a gentleman though. Which is, you know, it's good to know. These are not bad things to know about Shohei no. Otani. I mean, this he's just... influencing his his peers. He hasn't influenced Alex Rodriguez to change his opinion about home runs and how they're actually good for the team that hits them. But true, we're still working on it. Okay, you're next up. 
my next up is a discussion about I think a player you really you really like and probably will uh will really like because you're now a Brewers fan this playoffs. Um one Ryan Braun retired this past week. Did you hear about this? I heard about this. You know, I didn't know that Ryan Braun wasn't playing this year. <laughs> didn't <laughs> you know. just thought he was like toiling away in, in left field for the Brewers? I mean you yeah. I mean I don't I've, know who's playing left field for the Brewers. I've watched like five Brewers games probably this year. I know that Willie Adamas has been amazing since they traded for him. True. That's about it. <laughs> Go Brewers. Brew crew. I'm not even necessarily like joyous that Ryan Braun is retiring because I by and large he is somewhat of a footnote to me in my baseball fandom, but it did feel like a good enough reason to remember one of the most public displays of dickishness from a baseball player in my personal lifetime. You know, we longtime listeners of the show and maybe even not them. (laughs) will remember that very early on we uh, we drafted players for an all asshole team, and I don't even think that Ryan Braun made it onto that. Did he? No, he did. He did. I put him at third base, which is a, right. a position that he played ninety innings at in his rookie year, and he was so bad that they immediately had to move him to the outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I cheated and put him there because I don't need to put the player at their best defensive position to be on the all asshole team. The whole point is that they're assholes. I don't really care if they're playing where they want to play. Ryan Braun, one uh, one pretty darn good baseball player whose legacy is not even really marred by PEDs, which probably means something to a lot of people and doesn't really as much to us, but but more his conduct towards a wage worker with the Brewers, right? Yeah. A mm-hmm. public disparaging of the of just the dude who collects baseball players urine samples <laughs> like <laughs> uh, i just can't believe that that happened i really in can't in this either. lifetime it's, or in any other i know i completely memory hold that entire saga but you know this is as good as time as a good as time as any to pour one out for ryan braun and his mishandled urine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I gotta keep it moving after after that. You, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Um, my third up this week <laughs> is the fact that mere hours before Larry Elder got absolutely smoked in the Gavin Newsom recall election. This is not a this is not a pro Newsom podcast necessarily, but it's certainly not a pro Larry Elder podcast. Mere hours before Larry Elder got absolutely packed up in the recall election, Mike Piazza felt it was necessary to hold his phone just below his chin and film himself giving the worst endorsement of of all time to that very same man, Larry Elder. And I will play that endorsement for you right now. Hey guys, it's Mike Piazza, former Dodger and Hall of Famer. Get out and vote. Get out and vote to recall Gavin Newsom and put Larry Elder in Sacramento. 
Here's the deal. If you guys do this, I'll personally come out to Dodger Stadium and thank all the Dodger fans who voted for him and say hi to a lot of friends I haven't seen in a long time. Larry Elder will bring back the California dream. When I got to L.A., that's all all my friends talked about was moving to California. And now everyone talks about is moving out of California. Larry Elder wants to change this. He's a man who deeply loves California and will bring back the California dream. Mike Piazza is holding his visit to the state of California hostage, Alex. He is not coming back to California unless Larry Elder is their governor. Did he think that this was the motivating factor for a lot of California voters? A guy who played the first five years of his career with the Dodgers refuses to come back to California unless we recall Gavin Newsom. He thought that this video of himself looking like a thumb with a goatee and glasses was going to get people to go out and vote for Larry Elder. Right. Well, is he like talking to to Dodgers fans? <laughs> I think who who like live in Los Angeles? I and... think so. He's talking to No, no, actually, I'm glad that you asked if he's talking to Dodgers fans who live in Los Angeles. No, he's talking to Dodgers fans who live in Newport Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I guess <laughs> Dodgers fans travel well, I've heard. So yeah, well, he's talking to Dodgers California. fans who live in Atlanta. Um, it's just a very, it's a hilarious indication of a trend, which is guy who lives in New York who has opinions about California, middle-aged man who lives in New York who thinks that he knows a lot about California, but who has never actually really lived there as a normal person. That is my third and final up this week. Alex Spaisley, can you please close it out for us? I will. And I'm not even going to close it out with a with a traditional up because I I don't have one, but I will use this space to uh, call out that it was Roberto Clemente Day in baseball this past week. A player whose legacy, I think most baseball fans are still not necessarily aware of the the depths of it and how he how he paved the way for afro latino baseball players and whose anti-racist anti-fascist policies were transformative and frankly unheard of from a player in his generation and he was incredibly outspoken about what it meant to him being black and he went so far as to host one Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at his ranch in Puerto Rico. And as our good friend Mike Elk recently wrote about, he was instrumental in drumming up support from the Players Union for Kurt Flood and his battle against the Reserve Clause. Because there were a lot of really important players at the time who felt that it was not their fight and even went so far as to disparage Flood behind closed doors. And Clemente was a a really important figure in that battle whose influence is largely overshadowed and kind of left out of the out of the story. And obviously baseball is capital B baseball, the institution is you know somewhat reticent to talk about these aspects of his personality, but you know, it's once again just a reminder that this sports history is filled with a lot of really important revolutionaries, frankly, 
And I just want to make sure we don't forget that. Yes, extremely well said. I think that the further you get from a player's life or even from a player's time in the game, the the more sanitized their history becomes in the wider sphere just because of who decides what element of that history to tell. Like if you watch Roberto Clemente Day, frequently frequently what you will get as the message is just, he did a ton for baseball in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. He did a lot of community service. Because like what is not actually helpful for MLB to share are these different elements of intersectionality and the way that they interact with the idea that capitalism is sucking a lot of the soul and joy out of baseball, which Roberto Clemente was distinctly against. Right. And the fact it's, that he I'm, like threw his weight around in being one of the most beloved players of his era and of all time, the fact that he threw away his weight he threw his weight around with other players in order to support Kurt Flood, who a lot of guys were reticent to support because he was like really about to disrupt and maybe they saw him as like an ungrateful player who was asking for too much at the time and in that Overton window then it's not really in MLB's interest to share that and tell that story. So, yeah, we'll link to that story from Mike Elk. Um, it's curious that a lot of guys' secret awesome pro-labor views get buried. Alex, I wonder if there's anything going on there. Do you think Do you think there's anything going on there? No, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure if there is something going on there that COVID-vax exposed will <laughs> have it covered. <laughs> okay. Um, quick shouts to the folks who have shared pictures of themselves wearing our merch this week thanks to jess thanks to kara thanks to mac thanks to travis thanks to stacy thanks to andy thanks to Ketsal Coat, thanks to stephanie and thanks to katie alex that is everybody that is everything that we have to share this week so much for doing a quick podcast it is maybe physically or legally impossible for us to do one thanks so much to everybody for listening Thanks to the couple of really nice people who have left very nice reviews of us in Apple Podcasts in the last couple of weeks. It really means so much. Just know that every review that gets left on the Tipping Pitches page, I do screenshot it and send it to Alex and say, look how nice this is. This is so nice. So we share that moment along with you if you are taking the time to write that review. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, 785-422-5881. If you'd prefer to write in, you can DM us tipping underscore pitches on Twitter or tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. Go get yourself some Tipping Pitches merch because it looks really good and it's going to a good cause. That's all I got. My brain is burnt out. Uh, I'm going to go edit this podcast now. Tiny.cc slash nationalize if you do want to get that merch. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!